Hello everyone, welcome to episode 4 of Gossip, a podcast series where we discuss and try to better understand alternative perspectives on issues. The podcast series is part of Chris Network's ongoing efforts to create a safer space for discourse on gender inequality issues and human rights. My name is Angela Kugadas and I will be your host for today. Our topic today is on the issue of women's and girls' bodily autonomy. We're happy to have with us May, a student and TikTok content creator, and Kasturi Parimiswaran, who is the Good Kids Malaysia Communications and Media Officer. She is also an emerging spoken word artist on the side. In fact, she has recently participated and won in the UNSDG's Action Film Festival 2021, performing her poetry on this very topic of bodily autonomy. So we do have a surprise for you at the end of this podcast. So stay tuned. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kasturi and May. Hi, thank you so much for having us tonight. Hello. Yeah, this is an honor and I'm really excited. So my first question for this topic is about how women and girls learn about messages about their body. And nearly half of all women are denied their bodily autonomy, according to this data that UNFPA has uh, developed for their 2021 State of World Population Report. This report is called My Body is My Own. I think it's uh, quite uh, significant because uh, this is a topic that has plagued women for uh, many, many years and no one has really taken this topic very seriously. So it does mark the first time a United Nations report focuses on the power and agency of individuals to make choices about their own bodies without fear, without violence or coercion. You know, it's shocking to actually, when you read this report, that we still have 20 countries or territories saying that marry your rapist as a law. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also have very persistent barriers to bodily autonomy, you know, in, in terms of uh, the kinds of stereotyping that happens, misconceptions about bodily autonomy and the rights of women and girls. So I wanted to find out from you, Kasturi, you know, mm -hmm. since you did perform your poem mm -hmm. uh, for this recent uh, UN SDGs uh, festival, what did you have to think about before you could actually come up or, you know, write this poem, what kind of messaging came to your head? So the poem was written in the height of Not All Men, the hashtag on uh, Twitter. Um, and I approached Creative Tangachi, who's the director behind the videography and the concept of it. And I said that we need to put out something that is blatant, but yet in, uh, in what's the word? Uh, it, it's a message that is blatant, but at the same time, it has uh, riddles to it. So the poem doesn't directly say, you know, it is the men's fault or it is uh, the patriarchal society's fault that we have no body autonomy, but we had to think about how will this message be perceived and or if we will get hate because it's not only body autonomy that we're talking about here uh it's also our minds i think it's just as a female are you allowed to say these things will society accept it but it's not society overall it's men driving these conversations and then there are a few women who help uphold those ideas. Mm. So, the, 
So we had to think about what kind of backlash we were going to get. In fact, when we were recording the videos um, and acting according to the poetry, um, there were a few male actors who were afraid of acting out those scenes. And we said, well, and, and their respond was on par with not all men. And I thought, well, if you're very uncomfortable with it, you need to think about, wait a minute, why are you uncomfortable? Right, exactly. So these male actors, uh, were they people you knew? Um, did they feel like they were suddenly placed on the spot? Um, so before uh, they even knew what the script was or what they were acting out, um, they jumped at the gun to join in on the project uh, only because Creative Thangachi uh, as a brand name, Hima is the person behind it. Um, she's amazing and her content always goes above and beyond. It's different. So up and coming actors on Instagram, on TikTok, they always want to work with her. And so it was an open call. And mm. once they signed on, um, before they signed the NDA forms, they had to take a look at the concept and the storyboard. And that's when people started getting uncomfortable. And so I actually wrote long WhatsApp messages to kind of say, you need to think back and think within yourself. Why are you feeling so disturbed by this topic? That's really interesting. I mean, uh, this whole, you know, this whole phrase, not all men, it sounds like a defensive mechanism. Um, they don't they don't use the same phrase, not all women, right? When they're complaining about women's behavior, when they are making jokes, etc. So, but before we get more into that um, and how these men were feeling about, you know, what you were trying to surface through your poetry, uh, let's hear from May. May, um, you've largely grown up in the digital world. It's definitely a very different world from mine. So who or what has influenced how you think about your body? And was there any time when you you were made to feel uncomfortable about your body? Was there a first time that you felt that you were being shamed or made to feel bad for being a girl, for being female? So growing up in the digital world, it obviously makes me exposed to the internet at a very young age, like as early as my primary school days. But I'm very fortunately that my parents controlled my time spent on my devices when I was still a kid. So I grew up in a fairly safe environment during my childhood. So I never really thought negatively about my body until I entered secondary school where my peers and also social media started influencing the way I think about my body. To talk about my school, my school actually, um, they had a cheerleading team that joined national competitions. And cheerleading was also a sports event for our annual sports day where each house set up their own cheerleading teams as well. So most of these popular girls were cheerleaders and most of them were fitting the societal beauty standards of where they are tall and they are thin. So this really ingrained that mindset in me that if I wanted to be popular and considered pretty, I needed to have that perfect body. I had to be in the cheerleading team So how that went down was I started eating less and I had a lot of Mm. meltdowns in my room when I just didn't like the way my body looked at that time. Mm -hmm. I even tried joining cheerleading outside of my school, but eventually I quit because I wasn't there out of interest, you know. How how, how old were you then? 
I was about 14. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was also around that time when Instagram was booming and almost everyone in school was actively using the app. And popular Instagram influencers started coming out with all these um, brand deals. They were also promoting skincare and weight loss products. So obviously at that age, all I did was absorb that kind of information into ideas that, oh, I needed to fit into whatever society perceives women as beautiful. Um, and I also started to feel uncomfortable about my body around that timing as well. So um, to speak mm. from my personal experience, in 2014, I was around 13 years old. Someone from school teased me for having larger breasts because I'm quite a petite person. So I guess she thought like it's something worth laughing about. Then a few years later... So the other person was uh, a female student? Yeah, she, she was a female student around my same age as well. Mm. And then a few years later, another person from school shared with me um, privately that he found out about like one or two boys liked me, but it was solely because I have large breasts. So that really made me feel so uncomfortable. And mm. it also made me feel like my worth as a person is reduced to my body. And that was all they were seeing in me. Right, right. Yeah. Kasuri, did, did you receive similar messages when you were growing up? Yeah, I completely relate with what they're saying, um, what May is saying, because until today I carry that um, insecurity with me. When up until I was 12, 13, I was always the tallest girl, largest girl. I'm also Indian in, I went to a school that was predominantly white students mm. and they were all smaller. The boys were also shorter than me for the longest time. And I always got made fun of it. Uh, you know, I've, ha I've been bullied for those things. Mm. And as I grew up, I did develop into a conventionally beautiful person. Like, you know, they, call, they say in um, the digital world language, lingo, um, the glow up. I had a real good glow up. Oh, I haven't heard of that. <laughs> I'm showing my age. <laughs> <laughs> so glow up is basically when before pre uh, prepubescent and then after puberty what you look uh, like so right. I had a real good glow up but <laughs> but I still in my head I am I've never thought of myself as a beautiful person but that's yeah. really interesting because uh, I was watching uh, the, the videos of your performances uh, for that competition yeah. and uh, you know and this whole thing about bodily autonomy and uh, the way it was depicted, it was th there was that whole thing about that sense of invasion, right? And a lot of times uh, people reduce this idea of bodily autonomy to just, you know, the physical touch, you know, the unwanted physical touch. Mm -hmm. But uh, both of you actually talking about like, you know, ideas that have been planted in your head, into your yeah. subconscious, yeah. And it remains invasive, you know, it remains something that disrupts your sense of self-confidence, your sense of self-esteem, your sense of self, basically. I think specifically in Malaysia, as children, you don't have any autonomy, uh, whether it be bodily autonomy or ideologies. Um, you're not encouraged to go out and question. You're encouraged to follow and listen for the children that you work with right mm -hmm. uh, good kids and you've mm -hmm. worked with quite a number and especially from the b40 uh, households yep. 
do they receive messages that are different? Uh, do they have a different sense of bodily autonomy? They, I would say, they have a more in what's the word? Uh, they 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 have a more intense version of what me and I faced as kids. Uh, I think the children that I work with, especially the female presenting children, they have no autonomy as to what they want to do with their bodies, how they want to cut their hair or the clothes they want to wear. Uh, partially, it's about what is accessible to the families for their survival because their clothes are either uh, received through donations or what they can uh, afford. And you get a home haircut or the cheapest 10 ringgit haircut, and that's usually a boy cut. Um, and I think the most stark experience I had with one of the students was we do this thing called community mapping and there are tier three tiers to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and one tier of it is you study your physical self. You're forced to look at yourself at the cam in the camera or in a, in a mirror. And we ask them to choose three words that they would use to describe themselves or what others have used to describe them. Okay. So one of these students called themselves ugly and absolutely refused to see their face on the camera. Oh, no. And they drew a distorted image and said that this would do, they just, you know, chin chai color. And they were like, I'm done with this activity. I want to go home. Um, so here's the notable thing. She has a boy cut. She's always in her brother's hand-me-downs and she's dark skinned. And I was gutted that an eight-year-old had that much internalized colorism and hatred. So mm. we actually, I work with her until today and we always have this conversation. Um, I mean, we have that conversation right there and there um, as to why she said she was ugly. Mm, and she said, mm. well, that's what people have said because I'm fat and I'm black. And... I always try to compliment her on those specific things. And I also show her pictures of my myself when I had a shaved head, because those are not the beauty standards for women. And in her case, she didn't have an autonomy to say, I do want to shave my head or I don't want to. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's have, and that's very different. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Because what you're highlighting is, you know, something we've sort of taken for granted. I mean, for a lot of us, um, mm -hmm. we, we do have certain choices. We have exercised bodily autonomy to a certain extent for some of us. Um, mm. But uh, that's really interesting, this whole class issue and how poverty can also play a significant role in terms of um, robbing girls' yeah. bodily autonomy. Because it's a matter of consent. Yeah, exactly. Matter of consent. So the idea, I mean, it would be really interesting to also hear the idea, for example, like, uh, because uh, we do hear about how family honor is associated with women's and girls' bodily autonomy, our sexuality, uh, how family dignity, etc., or the respect of the family, the status of the family is suddenly like affected just because of uh, a girl's or, you know, a woman's bad behavior or from that family. I mean, um, May, is that something that you have observed um, in your own personal capacity? Um, I'd say it still holds true with the fact that 
um, family honor and dignity is often associated with women's and girls' bodies. And that is based on my recent experience on TikTok. So um, I actually posted a video a few months ago um, of me dressing in a onesie. I was fully clothed. All I did was dancing casually for fun, uploaded the video innocently. And what I got in return were comments that were sexualizing me and calling me um, by saying that I have no self-respect, I have no dignity. And that is just because I wasn't wearing a bra inside of my onesie. And I guess it was um, pretty clear to these lewd men that I wasn't wearing an undergarment. Someone actually even asked um, me to show that particular video to my parents and they want to see their reaction as though they expect my parents to be ashamed of me for simply not wearing a bra inside. Mm. And, but I would say that um, I'm quite privileged and blessed to come from a family that never really mentioned about family honour. As much as digital platforms have helped in like spreading awareness about these type of issues that have not been talked about before um, this, it has also made women and girls' bodies like very easily treated like sexual objects online. It's not mm-hmm. even safe for women to be posting very ordinary photos of themselves. Like we can see the creation of telegram, uh, te- sorry, telegram groups like V2K. Mm. And there's also Reddit posts about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah then, you know, girls and women don't really have control over how men and boys sexualize these images. Even though, like you said, I mean, you were fully clothed and I've seen that TikTok video. There's no, there's (laughs) nothing to be, you know, uh, embarrassed about. There's nothing indecent about it. You know, in fact, for me, it was very innocent. You're just dancing around and having fun. So, Kasturi, um, these... um, ideas of how shame is linked to women's and girls' bodies. Even speaking out, because you you said that, uh, you know, just to think about how you actually uh, frame the ideas in your poem, right? In your poetry, how you frame it, how you visualize it. You had to really think about it in terms of the articulation uh, because you wanted so much for people to listen rather than just to reject it and, you know, and then to to yeah. sort of uh, face backlash for something that they d- they didn't want to understand, so so this yeah. association of shame uh, is something so strongly, continuously and persistently you know thrown at women, even though we are speaking out and speaking up about this is wrong. So and this is exactly what happened about. to Ayn Husniza as well, right? When she spoke up about the rape joke. Yes. I was just going to say that even if we are speaking up about it, I think there's a whole group of people who are not hearing what we're, the message that we're delivering. And it has to do with the language that we're using. um, And I mean, literally the language, the words, do they understand the words that we're using, the phrases that we're using. But beyond that, the method that we are delivering this message. So I'll, the video with the fear that, you know, I wanted to speak up, but I was afraid of the backlash. It was because I really wanted to break Instagram's algorithm in a way. Mm. I wanted that video to reach the Malaysian Indian community on TikTok and who cross over on Instagram as well. Um, And I wanted to reach a community that didn't predominantly communicate in English, who 
didn't usually look at Instagram as a place of education, you know, where you can read different ideas and change your mind. Or they, uh, they are basically conservatives who would say, you know, women shouldn't dress a certain way. Women shouldn't say a certain things. They shouldn't swear because all for the culture. And I was afraid that that group of people would have a backlash against me. So I had to be very careful. But I realize mm-hmm. now that poem is in English and I wouldn't reach that group of people. Yeah. And a lot of these women are from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. So from the B40 community, and they get on this digital space looking for a place to express themselves and find the freedom that they don't have in their, re- in their lived lives, like in their real lives. Mm-hmm. But they're still faced with pa- patriarchy and body shaming and policing, policing of their expression, slut shaming. And some, most of the times you'd be shocked because it's Indian women themselves who are replying to them and going, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. What would your mom and dad think? Um, and that yeah. comes from intergenerational teachings, you know, of... Yeah, learned behavior, we- learned sense of self-esteem as well. That's right. Yeah. And um, it's it's almost as if it's it's this teaching of women's body serves only purposes related to men. Like men decide when it is appropriate to consume a woman's image or what sells on what platform, you know, and when they don't sell, uh, especially on TikTok. And, and there, you know, the information is out there, but the conversations are blocked by the analytics and algorithm on social media because there is this echo chamber that is created by the algorithms that imprison these different groups. So I may follow X number of accounts, but someone else won't be following that account and those accounts. So the algorithms mm-hmm. completely look different. I mean, definitely we we do learn uh, as girls and even as women, we consistently uh, receive these kinds of... Um, messages where we are told to accommodate, we are told to serve, you know, like we're just there to accommodate, serve and to to comply, right, in terms of our bodies and uh, the decisions over our bodies. So, so like the decision making that happens over our bodies, I mean, there are times when women are told to marry a certain person, uh, you know, uh, because sometimes because out of poverty, that's why we have child marriages as well, you know. I just wanted to find out from both of you. I mean, we, 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 we have been using this term bodily autonomy, bodily autonomy, but what does it mean for you? Uh, Meg, maybe we can start with you. So um, my idea of bodily autonomy in a short statement would be like giving us full control of what we would like to do with our bodies while also being educated about all the possible consequences of every action that we take and also the ways to navigate around this act safely. And of course, that includes like sexual activity. Um, I actually of the opinion that bodily autonomy um, shares the same idea of like the strictest parents raise the most rebellious kids. So when parents are overly controlling to the point their children aren't able to explore the world, they'll 
go against their parents behind their backs instead of talking it out with them to explore safely under their parents' supervision and knowledge. Mm. So with such strict control over women's bodies, it's implying that women have zero self-control and we cannot be trusted to behave like a functional human being because these sick-minded people only see us as that as that sexual object people are so worried about the fact that um, women will not have self-control if we have that bodily autonomy, then isn't a better idea would be like implementing sex education in schools to educate school children or teenagers, regardless of their gender, regardless of their sexuality, about how to perform these, these safe acts of like sexual activity. And also as human beings, having sexual attraction is absolutely normal. So rather than avoiding the topic completely and treat sex as a taboo topic and in return controlling women's bodies to the point we do not have the autonomy to our body, we should actually be given the freedom to explore. Mm, mm. Yeah, so to be fully informed, to be fully educated and then, you know, because because uh, I think you you said it. I mean, the, the more informed you are, the more educated you are, the more aware you are of the risk that you are taking, and therefore you you definitely act responsibly because yeah. you, you don't want to self harm yourself. So, Kasturi, what about you? Like, what what is bodily autonomy to you? And I'm I'm sure you've seen like different understandings of bodily autonomy as well on the ground. Yeah, um, I think. For myself, bodily autonomy means I can exist in my body without having to think twice about how I'm expressing myself or what I'm saying or how I sit or what I wear. Um, I want to be able to, it's as simple as I want to be able to exercise without feeling the pressure that I'm exercising to lose weight. Like not because I want to be fit or not because I want to be stronger, you know, it's as simple as that for me, like to be able to be free of constantly thinking, whoa, is, should I wear this to this space and will I be um, ogled at Mm. or not? And that's the freedom. I think the freedom to exist in my body as if a cis man would you know, I don't think cis men go around thinking, oh, can I be shirtless? And man, do I have to wear a bra? But they may have bigger boobs than I do. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's for me. But on the ground, I... Uh, like, this is, um, I think, very important for me to preface first. It's uh, my um, ideas... And it's what I've seen from my perspective and where I stand in in um, in the work I do versus somebody who's actually in the community. Mm. Um, I think that for that for the women that I work with and the female presenting children as well, uh, they're all tra- they're they're all living by the traditional norms like they're seen as baby makers and caretakers. Mm. And until today, that's the kind of function that they uh, serve in the society, in their society, in their community. And in a lot of the households, women are the ones working though. They're the ones who are the backbones of their family. Because most and they're not of, recognized for that. 
No, they're, they're seen as, you know, that's just what you have to do because you have to take care of your family. Otherwise, there's no food tomorrow. Mm. But even then, in that sense, they're seen as being owned. They're owned by their family. They're owned by the men, you know, like, okay, well, she's gone to work. I can do whatever I want and have and not be held responsible for it. And I think the day that a woman attains full autonomy for their bodies, the men in those communities are threatened by their position and power. It means that... that hmm. That, that's really interesting because, uh, I mean, a lot of uh, women in poorer households, um, they always feel like they do this, at, you know, so that their family will survive, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they're always thinking about, okay, about the children, about how much savings is there, do we have enough to pay the bills, right? So a lot of them would actually say that um, they do it because they want to, because, yeah, you know, I mean... They wouldn't say it in such a way that it's their responsibility, but that whole idea of bodily autonomy as well, I think yeah. um, I, I think many people haven't thought about like how poverty actually has such strong it, it has a nuanced sort of messaging on bodily autonomy, right? Like so women women behave or women are sort of conditioned, you know, to such an extent that they feel like, okay, yes, it's my responsibility, but I also want to do it, right? I also want to do it so that my children uh, survive and they they are healthy and, you know, they, they're able to do better than me in, in their own lives, right? So I have like this idea that we actually don't know what we want as women because we've been taught that you want this and you need this. I think we've been conditioned from from i guess like the minute we are created in the womb like this is going to be a role as the elder sister in the family you are now destined to take care of all the other siblings you have mm. and when you get married you are destined to make sure the household runs and so when women from uh, I mean, I have to check my privilege here. This is going to sound very uh, elitist and classist, but women in the B40 community sometimes don't know what they want. They may, you know, if you if they go through programs and empowerment programs and uh, financial literacy programs, and they may come out being like, I want to do this actually, but I don't think I can because I'm not allowed to. Or yeah. they'll say, um, there's this like phrase in Tamil where they'll be like, eh, how can I do it? Like, that's impossible, but maybe in a different lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and- yeah. Like the, the opportunity is not something uh, accessible to them. It, it's like a distant reality or, you know, it's yeah. like a imagined reality, more, more, more like, yeah. Me, for yourself, like, I mean, you, you're still a student, right? You're still a yeah. student. Um, but, but you've also said that, you know, you've been fortunate enough to have family and parents who, who don't send you these kinds of messages. You've actually learned it from other people who likely have learned it from their parents. Um, but for you, like this, this financial independence, uh, whether it's given to you by your family or not, um, does it help you to exercise bodily autonomy and choices? 
I guess from hearing what Kasturi has mentioned throughout the whole podcast session, I would say um, financial independence does um, contribute to the privilege of like having um, bodily autonomy. I am fortunate enough to go into an international secondary school. So with that being said, I feel like I am a lot more protected and I have more say in what I want to do in school and even like extracurricular activities. I was never controlled in a way like, oh, girls have to do a certain activity. So for example, in school for living skills, we have to not only touch on sewing, cooking, we were also taught on what we usually perceive like what men are supposed to do, like electronics and even mm. like wood-related things. No, so, that's really nice. Yeah, that's definitely, um, I feel like I had more control over what I get to do. And now that I'm in university, I'm in a private institution and we also, we, weren't, we are not really restricted to what we can do. So every form of activity like club and society, every event that's organized, there's never a form of like, um, this is an event separately for women only or, or an event that's separately for men only. It's mm-hmm. always a lot more about inclusivity. Yeah, so there's no stereotyping about your abilities and there's, there's no presumptions right about yeah. uh, you know whether you can or cannot um, and in fact they encourage I think they encourage the possibility they encourage the possibility of realizing your potential you know in in various ways which which is great yeah, yeah. and I actually grew up with um, most of my relatives being women mm. and a lot of us are strong women as in like there are some who are um, professors in a certain field or they are doing art they're doing whatever they actually want to do and it's nothing to do with like um, women should only stay in certain I don't know certain fields and what men should be in it's all about like I see a lot of my uh, cousins they are doing um, like at one point probably engineering another point they're doing art designing yeah yeah and yeah this is really about mindsets because you know let's go back to what the men said (laughs) not all men right Mm. because it's really about the mindset because um i grew up with a father who you know who insisted i was there at the car when he was tinkering with the car (laughs) so Mm. that i learned about you know how the car function or at least you know learned how to maintain the car right it was everything like uh, from woodworking to electronics to to knowing all these things and he never differentiated he never insisted like it was just my brother doing this and i wouldn't say that he he was highly educated of course he he had a secondary level sort of education but it wasn't any higher than that and i've met different people with different backgrounds you know where their fathers are a lot more open-minded uh even if they may be coming from a poorer sort of uh, social status right mm-hmm. yeah so it's really to do with the mindset and how we have still i guess a very strong strong patriarchal society and this actually reminds me of a recent incident where I'm not sure if she's a lecturer or a professor. She posted a video online saying that women have to dumb down for men. So ah, that yes. was a really ridiculous <laughs> statement ever made. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, yeah, I think many people told her that. <laughs> Deep sigh. Yeah, yeah, and and it goes back to how women are reinforcing this kind of mindset in their own way because they have embraced patriarchy. Mm. So how do we move forward from this? How do we change um, this perception of that bodily autonomy of women and girls actually can mean that you have a better society? That it doesn't mean that uh, women and girls are going to be reckless. Uh, with their bodies, how, how do we change this perception? How, where do we go from here? Um, maybe we can hear from Kasturi. Yeah, I thought about this extensively because, like May said, I also grew up with a whole family full of very strong women, and uh, yet there is a range of the the men's mindsets like i have in my extended family there are people who are very conservative um and i have my on my dad's side there's 10 of them and four of them are girls and six of them are boys but the boys get everything regardless of how old the women are and the women are still strong very strong matriarchs in their own right and I always, and I realized they always get told that was a bad thing. Like, you're too strong, mm. stop. And when their children came, came like the next generation, so my generation, but they're much older than me, they continued to fight that like idea and they continued to make a stand. Uh, and I feel like, that's what we have to do. We have to fight the good fight. Like, mm, yeah. um, the way I am and uh, I'm considered the rebel in the family, but my brothers, they have my back. They had the same kind of education background as me. And they also uh, had access and exposure to the same kind of uh, communities that I did. So they have my back and they don't think what I'm asking for is radical. Whereas mm. my parents sometimes do think like, well, we are really pushing it. <laughs> and, um, so for me, it was just, I had to continue being who I had to be so that the people, whether they knowingly got influenced or unknowingly got influenced, they do see how I am or what I do with my body, with the ideas that I have they then follow right follow suit and i think that's a good thing and it's like empowering them from the grassroots it's like trying to reach for the low-hanging fruits basically so mm. i'm starting just within my own extended family and then going out and i realize with the community that i work with um there's no understanding of the concept of autonomy it just doesn't exist the mm. term autonomy you know and we cannot be radical about it. We cannot make something um, big. We can't do. We can't um, argue or go in there guns blazing and saying this is what bodily autonomy is. You've been living your life all wrong. Like that's not the way to go about this. So we have to use language that they relate to. We have to also start small and chipping away it's like the onion like one layer at a time yeah and we also, 
I personally have had to learn that there are other systems of inequality that takes precedence and they need to address those and it's about survival for them and mm. facing their lives day to day. So in this podcast, we've said, you know, they have a closed mindset. I've said it and I should check myself for that because I don't think it's closed mindset. It's they do not have the exposure and education and I don't know if that's a wrong thing. I think it's just different, you know? Who are we to say what's right and what's wrong? Mm-hmm. There's no a different way of living. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you're looking more at, at, at options, right? What, what, are the, what are the available options? What are the available sort of possibilities and opportunities mm-hmm. um, vis-a-vis mindsets? I mean, mindsets, we can easily argue, you know, based on people who are still in power and saying things like, you know, this professor who said it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that may refer to. Um, so definitely there is that as well. But me, for yourself... In terms of the the digital space, because you've you've actually um, had a you know a really good um, uh, time growing up and you know exercising bodily autonomy, exercising um, your choices responsibly, and you know your your parents seem to agree that you know you have done so right. Uh, but in terms of the digital space, uh, people on the digital space have actually you know. Uh, sexualized you so what kind of digital space would tell you that you have bodily autonomy that you have that control what kind of digital space would make you feel comfortable I think they would be like digital platforms that have a very clear and transparent guideline on their privacy policy and they have to really prove that they take sexual harassment seriously from what I'm seeing the popular social media apps that we are currently using are clearly not doing enough to protect their users and I haven't seen any form of improvement. In fact, I feel like it's getting worse knowing mm. that big data is increasingly important where like our information is constantly being collected as long as we are on the internet. And it's even more so like now that it's COVID-19 pandemic, we are so heavily reliant on our devices and we upload a lot more online content. So a lot of these are getting collected and sold to companies. Um, But I would say like the kind of digital spaces that would make me feel comfortable probably only happens in the utopian world. But if there are social media app developers that prioritize the safety of their users, other than just having the sole objective of making as much profit as possible out of their users' content, I just think like, from me using TikTok for like almost a year now, I think companies behind such apps should really, really work on how to improve their algorithm and filtering comments as per their community guidelines more accurately because like they do report and take down videos, um, content that so-called have violated community guidelines. Like if there is any form of harassment, bullying, Um, sexual activity that they think is inappropriate they will take Mm. it down but so far comments are still largely being put out and they are not being taken down yeah I I think that's a really great point uh, May you know asking developers and these social media platforms to to actually um, 
take care of the user's privacy, uh, take sexual harassment online ser- more seriously, um, or for that matter, online gender-based violence more seriously. And it's not for you to, to you know, to understand how they can do it. In fact, uh, social media has sort of changed things a lot because it is, like you said, it is your personal data and content that's being used to monetize, you know, and to make profit for them, uh, including the content that you create online, you know, on TikTok. Um, and it just puts that whole, you know, the phrase that uh, businesses used to have, your customer is always right. It sort of puts it on the, uh, turns it on the head, right? Because businesses would always say your customer is always right. And then they would, you know, uh, they would bend backwards to make sure that the customer is happy. But here you you are customers basically using the platform, right? But they are saying like, oh, you know, that's all ours, <laughs> That's all our data. (laughs) The key point here is, though, the customers are cis men. That's the target audience. That's the target market. Uh. So comments not getting deleted, it's because cis men are getting off on it. Oh, my God. (laughs) Kasturi, I think you you really got it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I don't know if this is a PG uh, podcast. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, it really makes me think about this whole... um, social media platforms because you know like how healthcare uh, medicine you know it's always based on the male profile right in terms of um, how they experiment with the drugs etc in terms of finding uh, vaccinations mm-hmm. and so on and so forth um, or solutions uh, in the same way you know these digital platforms are catering to men's interests so thank you so much for that, uh, Kasturi and May. Re- really, really happy to have both of you tonight on the podcast. So we heard you have a treat for us, Kasturi. I do. Underneath lies your entitlement. The family heirloom. The precious gift from womb. A passation through generation the why to your ex to make you who you are does the why explain why you snuff out the light because she shines bright brighter than you and equal to you for when you're about to lose it it's time for you to use it the privilege of your why i love that I, I think it it's just sums up exactly what we should be leaving the audiences with, you know, in terms of what they need to think about, in terms of maybe the questions that they need to ask themselves as well. So thank you again to May. May, thank you so much. And Kasturi for being with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for giving us the opportunity. Yeah. If you enjoyed listening to Gossip, do follow us and stay tuned for our next episode. We'll be talking about the future of work. The pandemic has had serious concerns for many about employment and career opportunities. We will also be discussing the sharp and fast increase in digitization of our economic activities, and we need to understand these implications. You can find Chris Network on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Remember, gossip is where alternative perspectives make sense.